I think the welcome of uh, Ukrainian refugees, not only in Belgium, but in you know, Western Europe, um, is really standard setting. And so it should set an example for other countries. Welcome to My Refugee Story, a podcast by UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency. We'll be bringing you the voices and stories of refugees in Belgium. I'm your host, Maeve Patterson, and in each episode, I'll be speaking to someone who has found safety in Belgium. We'll hear about their story, their hopes and their dreams for their future, and bring those stories and voices to you. Today I'm joined by Sofia Nazarenko, a recently graduated journalist from Ukraine who found safety in Belgium following the full-scale invasion in February 2022. I'm also joined by Christophe Leclerc, who was the founder of Euractive, chair of the Europe Media Lab, and has been hosting Sofia. Sofia, Christophe, thank you so much for inviting us into this beautiful home. The listeners can't see it, but it really is spectacular. And we're really pleased to be speaking to both of you. Welcome. And I should mention my wife as well, uh, Sharon Spooner. So we are both hosting Sophia. Thank you. And we met Sharon earlier. She's welcomed us with, with coffee and croissants. So big thank you to Sharon as well. We're very pleased to be here today. Sophia, the, the title of this podcast is My Refugee Story. Tell us. Tell us your story. Uh, hello. So uh, I'm, let's say, a refugee in Belgium, and uh, I arrived in Belgium in the April uh, last year. So I'm here more than a year. Uh, actually, uh, the whole year I've been studying uh, political science at ULB, and uh, yesterday I uh, defended my thesis. So actually, it's like a new stage of my life. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, and I think that um, during uh, this year, I've been improving a lot. And uh, I think that it was a big challenge to move to another country without uh, knowledge of French. And I even had uh, like a little uh, level of English. And here you are. Yeah. <laughs> And the challenges, I mean, obviously there are challenges moving, but particularly when you've had to flee, you know, such a difficult situation uh, as is happening in Ukraine now. Yeah. You met Christophe. Um, how did you guys meet? Tell us. And how, how do you think meeting Christophe helped you, you know, helped you settle in a bit more into the country? Uh, so uh, in Zaporizhia, I worked as a journalist uh, in regional media and uh, I have a, a Ukrainian friend, she's also a journalist, but she's living in Belgium for 20 years. Uh, and uh, uh, this friend is Natalia Richardson, and she's also a friend of Christophe. So it was like a connection line between us. <laughs> Fantastic. Christophe, tell us, tell us what it was like when you, you heard that you'd be meeting. Yes. First of all, uh, Sean and I, we have always been aware of the situation in Ukraine for a long time already, so we did not discover this uh, situation. And when the full-scale invasion happened, we thought we should do something. Uh, it was an opportunity because uh, our kids have grown up, so this house is too big, and uh, we felt we should uh, host uh, one or two people. 
And there is a great solidarity between media people. So I immediately thought we should try to help somebody logistically, but also career-wise, introducing that person in uh, EU policy circles. And therefore, I talked with several journalist friends of mine who had contacts uh, in Ukraine. And indeed, uh, Natalia Richardson was uh, very helpful, and so it worked quickly. Fantastic. And how long have you been in the house now? Uh, now it's more than one year. More than one year. And obviously that's a very important relationship in terms of helping you settle in. You have your own drive and determination to settle in. But have there been any other components or people who have helped you on your journey to integrate here? Yeah, first of all, uh, it was uh, Belgian authorities who uh, helped me to integrate as uh, uh, ordinary Ukrainian uh, person. So... Uh, you know that they are helping uh, and a lot of Ukrainians are receiving some support from uh, Belgium. So it was uh, very, very helpful for me and they also gave me some tips how to integrate to other areas. Uh, but also um, I think civil societies in Belgium, in Brussels particularly, Ukrainian civil societies are... Uh, doing everything to feel um, like at home. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Promote Ukraine is a Ukrainian civil society, I think the largest Ukrainian civil society in Brussels. They're doing not only uh, political events, but also cultural events and some classes uh, for arts, let's say. Sometimes they're engaging people to go together somewhere. So I think it's very important when you can easily find Ukrainian friends here. A home away from home. Yeah. So you guys, you know each other also, there's the connection of the media. So Sofia, what what made you want to get into journalism? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean... Uh, I cannot say that, you know, uh, it's uh, like a wonderful story that I've always been dreaming to be a journalist. Actually, uh, really, I did, but it was like a TV representer, you know, <laughs> in my childhood. Uh, but, uh, for example, at school, I was uh, really uh, interested in uh, not only journalists, but also history and politics. So probably that's why... Now I'm focusing more on uh, political journalism and for me it's a very, very interesting topic. And you know, it's like a way uh, of life. So you cannot just live without news, without analytical articles. You cannot just uh, be uh, on another side. Yeah, really interesting. And Christoph, you've been a, a media veteran for many years, a publisher. Mm -hmm. How have you seen over the, the last years during your career the media portrayal of forced displacement and the refugee situation change? Mm -hmm. uh, I should specify that uh, I'm a former publisher, not a journalist, but of course I interact a lot with journalists and I help uh, to set uh, priorities. And your active, the media which I set up, is specialized in policy. So we don't do much uh, human stories about refugees, for example. What I think is important is to cover not only um, 
the uh, difficult situations, the, the dramatic uh, situations, but also to explain why it led to such situations, to explain why there are wars uh, or uh, problems with climate change, etc. That's what we uh, focus on. Um, you would probably expect in my answer some tips on what do, to do and what not to do in, in terms of uh, avoiding prejudices, etc. I think these uh, guidelines are reasonably well known from uh, quality uh, journalism. The issue is not so much, in my view, uh, how to cover uh, refugee issues, but rather to cover them at all and to have time and therefore money for it. There are, as you know, far too many topics to be covered. So the question is whether you spend time on it, on just business topics or just uh, normal uh, politics. And uh, we try to do it. At Euractiv, we have a network of partners in uh, 17 countries, uh, which helps to have uh, a bit more of the local touch, but again, focusing on uh, politics. And uh, we hope to expand in uh, Eastern Europe. We are now in Central Europe, because it's obviously in Eastern Europe that there are the most uh, acute uh, situations. I greatly regret 15 years ago not to have seized the opportunity to open your active in Ukraine. I had this chance. We had short-term priorities. I didn't do it, but now we can help in another way. Fantastic. I think you anticipated my question. It's exactly how. How can we make the media, how can we make the public more engaged? Sophia, you spoke about the importance of news. How can we make people want to read about you know, these really important issues that impact human beings' lives? I think it's a very good question because it was always been a problem for journalists because uh, I don't know I don't know how many journalists are focusing on social problems. Uh, at least I know that in Ukraine we have some very good media and they're trying to show the stories, uh, but of course it's not very popular uh, for them. You know, like as you are doing political journalism. It also depends on the money and everyone wants to have ads on their websites or on the TV channels. So, But I can say that uh, probably the best way is to uh, try to show that uh, refugees are trying to integrate. For example, in the EU, it's not only the EU, but also in Ukraine, it's the same question because we have a lot of internal refugees. And uh, I think, uh, for example, uh, during the one year, uh, everything just has changed uh, because uh, we have so many people from different regions are moving to other regions and trying to start their life from like zero. And I know that media are also trying to show the stories that th these people will have more uh, support more opportunities for them to start working, uh, to start just uh, living better life. Mm. That's a really important point. I think I think when we do see the media cover displacement, you know, we have the chance sometimes to see coverage of the refugee situation, but the internally displaced situation is something that is really out of the spotlight. I don't know, Christoph, if you've got any any views on how to how to get more attention to 
internally displaced situations, refugee situations, or even stateless situations. It's, it's a challenge. My, my recommendation more as a publisher would be to cooperate with local media mm-hmm. because uh, foreign media will not focus on domestic issues, so to say, um, except if uh, they get help uh, from uh, local media, regional media. And that's the approach which some media have taken to have franchise partners or syndication, etc. Um, the problem uh, in the media sector is that we have less and less journalists. We lost half of the journalists in the last 15 years, and the other half could go, except for our public service. Um, so we need to be very uh, focused on the cost management. Uh, ChatGPT will not replace uh, the journalist, but we can also not send a journalist uh, far away every time there is something to be covered. So cooperation is the name of the game. And your latest endeavor, Maison de Media, tell us a bit about that and, and how that links to that idea of cooperation. So I'm uh, now uh, retiring from my role uh, with uh, your active, the media. And Congratulations I, on that too. Always a you. good big step. <laughs> yes. um, and I give myself the next 10 years to grow the think tank, uh, which we had called initially Fondation Active. Now it's uh, Europe's uh, Media Lab. We have several programs and I will focus only on the one that is connected to this uh, house uh, here. Um, we made a little bit of analysis of how we could help more uh, the media sector in Eastern Europe. Sofia actually did some very quick, very efficient uh, analysis, which reveals that there are only 18 uh, Brussels correspondents for the whole of Eastern Europe wow. currently. And there's and about the- 900 correspondents accredited media in total, right? Um, a few more, I think, but indeed, it's a very small minority from Eastern Europe. And that's Eastern Europe in uh, quite a definition. Ukraine, Belarus, Georgia, Armenia, and Russia, too. 18 for this huge uh, region. This is far less, I think, than there was for just Poland alone at the same stage of European integration, which is in the 90s, because it will take about 10 years to uh, integrate uh, some of these countries, and I'm not talking of Russia uh, for the moment. And our idea is to help to triple this number in how many years, I don't know, but in a reasonable time frame, it's possible to triple in three, four or five years. And we will make a contribution by reducing the cost of having correspondence here in Brussels. This city is super important, not only because of the EU, but because of NATO, which is equally important uh, for them. Uh, if we take Ukraine, for example, there are six correspondents uh, right now, and number seven is in front of you. It's uh, Sofia. And it's not so difficult. There are bright people who study journalism. Some of them will be refugees if they come from countries at war. And uh, I do include in there Belarus because there are great exiled journalists uh, from uh, Belarus. In due course, why not Russian exiled journalists? But the issue is uh, more uh, sensitive. And uh, this combined with some scholarships uh, based on the philanthropy sector or maybe some help from uh, EU institutions, it should be possible to arrive at uh, 60 uh, Brussels correspondents for Eastern Europe. Fantastic. And Sophia, you're number seven. Tell us about being number seven, Ukrainian journalist number seven in Belgium. What are your ambitions? So I really hope to be a correspondent here for Ukrainian uh, TV channel or other media. 
uh, I think it's very important for Ukraine to uh, really understand what's going on inside the EU. Not only, uh, you know, like integration process, but sometimes we understand, uh, uh, I mean, Ukrainians understand that the EU will probably need uh, reforms in the future, at least uh, common agriculture policy and to be see these problems now with uh, Ukrainian grain. So uh, it's also important to uh, tell what's going on here and uh, what is the direction of flow in Brussels. And I hope you'll also be the, the champion for making sure that we get the migration and asylum stories told as well. How, how do you think your experience will, will impact you on that front? I hope it will impact, of course. And, uh, you know, I think as a Ukrainian journalist, you can uh, tell uh, stories of Ukrainian refugees in Belgium and how they are living here and uh, what uh, does Belgium does for them. Mm -hmm. So it's very important and it's very important to show that, uh, um, you know, European support and support from European countries are not uh, decreasing. It's very important also for Ukrainians in Ukraine to hear and to see. Yeah, such an important message. Thank you for that, Sofia. If I may add on this point, I think the welcome of uh, Ukrainian refugees not only in Belgium, but in Western Europe, um, is really standard setting. Uh, of course, there are bad stories as well, but the general picture is very good. And so it should set an example for other countries, notably from uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, because in fact, uh, people from Belarus or even Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, etc., uh, they have problems which are sometimes as acute as the uh, Ukrainians. So instead of... Uh, uh, having fears, etc. Let's build on these positive stories to develop other positive stories for other countries. That's just such an important point that, that you both make. I mean, we see now that the, the situation of forced displacement globally stands at 110 million people. And exactly as you say, Christophe, I mean, I think the, the EU's response to the situation in Ukraine set the standard. Um, and, you know, at UNHCR, we continue to say that we hope that the EU will really use this as an example to respond to, to other situations. So thank you for making that point. And uh, I mean, Sophia has been with you for around a year now with you and your wife and your family, but this isn't your first experience of, of welcoming refugees into your home. Indeed, at some stage, um, I inherited from my father a flat in Paris, which was empty. I didn't know what to do with it uh, immediately. And so I contacted the Jesuit Refugee Service, which is a great organization in many countries. Mm -hmm. And thanks to that, I had the opportunity to host in Paris uh, two refugees successively, one from Afghanistan, one from uh, Mauritania. Um, and these were very positive experiences. I was sometimes staying in this flat, so we got to know each other uh, better. Uh, the Afghan uh, gentleman was an educated person, um, the Mauritanian not. Uh, it was a really moving experience. Um, I was trying to uh, teach him a, a few things in French, writing it down. I realized he couldn't write. He couldn't uh, read just because he was an alphabet. Mm -hmm. He's probably the first an alphabet that I uh, really interacted with. So it showed me 
um, the big gap uh, that there is for such people to integrate. And both of them uh, now have jobs uh, in Paris. Yeah. And this is building on this positive experience that we decided to do something with a media person. Fantastic. Thank you. Maybe just one one final question from me. I mean, Sophia, you're in this house. Uh, Christophe, you've opened your home. What would both of you, maybe one last word from both of you, say to the public if they're thinking about hosting a refugee? Go ahead. Uh, I'm very thank you for Christophe and Sharon that I'm here and uh, I think it's wonderful people and their family is a very welcome family. Uh, so I have a very nice experience here and I feel like uh, that we can discuss everything, they can help me and I can help them. So it's very nice cooperation. Christophe? Um, two things. Uh, first, uh, we were lucky with Sofia because She's uh, very flexible and open to learning quickly. I would say with a smile, she's listening to our advice even better than our adult <laughs> children. So that was a positive experience. The other thing I would say, again, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, we host one and we want to host six of them. Um, so probably uh, it builds on this uh, positive experience. Um, some Ukrainians will go back uh, to their country because the situation improves in part of Ukraine uh, and therefore there is room for others to be uh, hosted. Wonderful. A house of media, a house welcoming refugees and a home for all. Christophe, Sophia, thank you so much for your time today with us. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to hear more inspiring refugee stories? Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast app and on social media. Mm-hmm.